And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Ah! You're listening to The Leaf Report. With Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel. And the Globe and Mail's James Myrtle. All right, James, we are trying a live version of this podcast. I guess every version of the podcast would be live because it's we're doing it while it's happening. Anyway, so we're just about at the start of the Maple Leaf season. Training camp is done. Obviously, the big thing with this team is youth. They're going to be really young, six rookies potentially, you know, to start. I don't think that should be a surprise, but are you surprised maybe that this is kind of how the league seems to be trending more and more towards young guys, young contracts, I guess everything like that? I'm like kind of surprised at the extent to which it's trending in that direction. Like you look at the Leafs and if Brooks like isn't on the roster, which I mean, he was put on waivers and we're not really sure 100% how much he's going to play. If he's not there, the oldest player on this team is 31 years old. The average age of the Leafs is 25 years old. They just picked up Seth Griffith from from Boston, who's 23, who's going to bring that number down a little bit more. It's It seems like every year teams are going more and more in this direction. And, you know, I think some of it's the salary cap because those guys are cheaper. Some of it is analytics and people can see that those guys are outperforming some of the guys whose names that the GMs or whatever might know a bit better. There's a, a lot of different things pointing them in that direction. But you look at the average age around the NHL, and it's kind of steadily come down over the last 10 years. But it's been this young before. It's just you have to go back like 15, 20 years ago for it to be that low. And the Leafs, I think it's great for the Leafs to get on board with that trend because that's where a lot of the good teams are going. And I think what fans are going to see is that rosters churn a lot faster than they used to, where you know guys are going to come in and be effective at 22 23 and then they're going to be gone by 30 31 so i mean unless you're like a, a freak like chara or yager it's going to be really hard to stick in the league well and i think what's interesting is you go back to the summer and i think you and, and a lot of people and i were were surprised at some of the contracts that were handed out to players at advanced age and advanced age now is like 30 so we see andrew ladd get a long deal uh, we see, you know, Milan Lucic is approaching 30. He got a long deal. Louis Erickson's 31. He got a long deal. Do you think eventually we get to a point where those types of contracts, 
like teams just don't do it. They don't sign players. Or, or, or are we seeing already a change with the way that some of these RFAs are being signed to long-term deals? So teams are locking them up to contracts while they're in their prime as opposed to signing them to these long deals when they're exiting their prime. I think there's always going to be bad teams and bad GMs. And that's, you know, the, the, those are the, the bad teams are the ones that are signing David Backus for a huge amount of money. Not, 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 not bad teams, quote unquote, but like teams aren't trending in the right direction that are probably going to struggle long term, that aren't getting on board with what's happening around the league. I mean, everyone's, I, I think that name recognition is such a big part of it because a GM here is like Andrew Ladd and it's like, wow, or David Backus, like what a David Backus is such a warrior or Ryan Kessler. But, and then they, so they give these guys a six or a seven year contract and they're no longer going to be, there's going to, someone else is going to be David Backus. Someone else is going to be Ryan Kessler. It's going to be a younger guy. And, Probably not for sure, because like I said, there are exceptions to this rule. But generally speaking, they're not going to be able to be Ryan Kessler anymore. They're going to continue to de- decline, and then these teams that didn't get on board with this trend are are going to be holding on to these guys that aren't as effective anymore. Well, what's interesting to me is we bring this back to the Leafs, and and I was watching some of their practices uh, during training camp when I got back from World Cup, like you. And the one guy I kept coming back to that I just couldn't understand why they needed was Matt Martin, and and obviously it's not a really expensive deal but it's four years for a guy on your fourth line when I look at some of the players that they have in their system I just don't see the need I don't I, I understand maybe that maybe this is a Mike Babcock thing you know he wants a little bit more size he wants some you know veteran experience but I just look at all these players that they have to to now have set in stone a roster spot for Matt Martin for four years to me looks a little odd was there anything about training camp that kind of struck you as unusual, or have they done kind of what you expected them to do? I was a bit surprised to see. It seemed like some guys were kind of marginalized a little bit in that they didn't get a lot of playing time. Like Peter Holland didn't play much. Frank Corrado didn't play much. I just And it's not injuries, so I just wonder, you know, do those guys have a future on this team? Why are they on the roster? Corrado's played really well. I think he had four points in four games or something like that. And then... Um, but it, I just don't see the opportunity when he's the eighth defenseman. So, you know, there were a few moves in the summer that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Anderson was one just because they had to give him a lot of term and a big contract. But Polak was a weird move for me because it bumps Corrado down the depth chart. Uh, Matt Martin was a weird one because it, you know, obviously it, it creates some tough decisions with some of the young players who, you know, fortunately for them, they haven't lost any yet. But what happens when Soshnikov is ready to play for the Leafs or, you know, it's it, what happens when you want to get some more ice time for a Connor Brown or a Josh Levo or, or these guys, or you want to claim a Seth Griffith and you want to get him into the lineup. You just, you've, you've locked in, as you said, these roster spots. And there was a piece on, on the Leafs Nation blog that they did where they compared Rich Clune's NHL stats to Matt Martin's NHL stats. I don't know if you saw that, but they were basically identical. I mean, there was no... So you could... I mean, Rich Clune's on an AHL deal. He was hoping to get an, an NHL deal and stick with the Leafs. But you could give him a league minimum two-way deal, and you could use him when you you feel like there's a need for that there or whatever, and, and, and still get the same thing. And you're not locked into any kind of a contract. So you're not going to have... Like, let's say Matt Martin. I mean, he's not a young guy. Let's say he declines in two years. You're still stuck with the $2.5 million in salary, which looking around at the league at the trends that are happening is you don't want to be in that position. You know, you want to use... I think, I think a big part of winning now in the NHL is using every cap dollar as efficiently as you can as possible. And there aren't very many teams that are able to do it. It feels like Tampa is pretty close to the ideal with what you want to do, but there, there just aren't a lot of teams that can do it. Well, and, and I think we go back to, 
you made me think of you know when the Leafs, the previous regime, picked Frederick Oche in the first round, and they kind of said you know his his upside is as a third line center, and it, it kind of ties into to the point. I think with Matt Martin, you can find those guys every single year on one-year deals. Like, you don't need to invest long-term. But I do think, you know, Roman Polak, I think I understood what they were trying to do. We'll see how much he plays. But I think you've seen early in camp, it looks like Connor Carrick is actually going to play ahead of him, which I think is a good sign for them that they're going to play, you know, a young guy who obviously performed pretty well in the playoffs last year for the Marlies. I think he's 22. I think he's the youngest player youngest defenseman not the youngest player they've got teenagers but if they're going to play him ahead of Polak I think that's at least a positive step you know for an organization that clearly I think we would both say they've done pretty smart things generally outside of a few irregularities you know over the last little while if they play him is that kind of an indication to you that even if they're bringing back some of these veterans they're still going to make the right usage decisions I guess yeah, and I think you see that in other places too. Like, you know, I like the fact that that Marner is is with skilled offensive, you know, NHL veteran players. So, yeah, you're right. Carrick being in the top 4 with Gardner means they're going to he's going to play big minutes. I mean, he's going to play whatever 21, 22 a night. That's huge. I mean, I think that there's there's a real buy-in to this to the idea that the young players have to be given opportunity and that's the way they're they're going to get better and one of the things I like that the players were saying today um I think it was Carrick. Carrick was actually saying today that he likes the idea that these young players are going to come in together, they're going to grow and get better together, and then they're going to, you know, they're hoping slowly move up the standings together and kind of create, there's, it creates chemistry. It, uh, you know, it's, he, the one thing he, that, that Carrick said is that it, it puts less pressure on you if you're not like one, one of the one or two young guys, which he probably felt like in Washington, where, you know, you feel like if you make a mistake, you're going back to the minors or, or whatever. Whereas, you know, there's going to be lots of mistakes. We saw it in preseason. There were mistakes. Um, it's a matter of, of of learning together. And I think the Leafs are lucky, too, in that there's not a lot of pressure on them this year. I mean, like, expectations are are pretty low. You know, I think if they finish 25th or 26th, I don't think anyone is going to be that disappointed in Toronto. Well, I looked at um, the Chicago Blackhawks when they first got Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. And you look at kind of the core group that won three cups. It was this, like it's the same guys, and they all kind of started together. They grew together. They got better together. Uh, they made from the year before Taves and, and Kane joined, I think in 07, 08, I think they made a 17-point jump from the year before. We saw Edmonton last year with McDavid for half a year, you know, Dreisaitl. They made, I think, an eight-point jump. Uh, Buffalo obviously was horrific two years ago. They made a significant, I think it was like a 27-point jump. If you were to guess like the ballpark for how much the Leafs will improve in terms of points from 69 last year to what this year, what would you guess? I'm going to say 10 to 15, but I'm I'm hedging a little bit low because I think if they're not, it's going to be the same as last year. If they're out of it, in February or whatever, and they're they're not close, and they're not going to be pushing for anything. Then you sell assets again, right? Like, and maybe the roster gets even younger, or maybe you bring in a bunch of Zach Sill kind of temporary guys for the end of the year or whatever. You know, they got to continue to try and find guys like Connor Carrick with those trade deadline deals. They got to fleece some of the teams and bring in draft picks and do all those kind of things. So, like, if, if they kept this group together right now for the whole season, I would say, yeah, they're going to have more than 
10, then 79 points, more than a 10-point improvement. But I don't think that this it's necessarily going to be this group. I think that you could see a lot of veteran guys moved out in February or whatever, and the team gets worse, and that's why they only finished with 80 points or whatever. Well, who do we think those guys are? Because the names that come to mind, obviously, Roman Polak's on a one-year deal. Tyler Bozak, I believe, has two more years. James Van Riemsdyk's got a couple more years. Milan um, Mahalik, one more year, this last one. So those are like... Do you think they'll uh, Leo Komarov obviously is one Van Riemsdyk I think is probably the most interesting just because you could conceive an idea of keeping him maybe like he's on a good contract I think he'll hit I don't know 55 60 points this year maybe 30 goals I think he's kind of the interesting one but let me ask you this I want to ask you about the young group Marner Matthews Neilander let's let's start with those three in particular and and I guess I'll throw Zaitsev in there which of those young guys do you think will we'll look back at this season and say he was the best rookie? I think Austin Matthews for sure. I think that he is going to, yeah, I think he's going to blow people away with how good he is. But that's a tough question because I'm not 100% sure what we're going to get from Nylander and Marner, to be, be, to be honest. Like, are they going to be kind of like just like 30, 35 point guys? Or are they going to be, I'm, like, they have the potential to be a lot more than that. I mean, it really depends who's on the first power play unit. If they, like, I think Nylander has... The, the opportunity to be on the first power play unit and really like help quarterback it. And like we saw at the end of last year that he had some big games. He had like that three point game against Calgary. I remember where he looks so comfortable on the power play. If he gets that opportunity, then yeah, I think he can put up a lot of points and same with Marner too. I mean, we've seen things in preseason and in training camp, just watching him where he can really stand out and he can really make like, he's great one-on-one on the goalie or one-on-one on a defenseman. Or if he gets some of those opportunities and they do play him with James Van Riemsdyk, I mean, I, I can see a situation where Matthews has 55, 60 points, Nylander has 50, 55 points, and Marner's around that, that mark too. And that's probably the best case scenario is that all of those guys break out. I just think Matthews looks the most ready. He's the biggest. I think that that line is going to be really effective. I just think he, and he can create a lot of things on his own too, which might be a little bit harder for some of those guys. And I mean, we'll see, Zaitsev, I, I have no idea what he's going to be. I mean, it's interesting that they've got him on the third pair. That probably makes sense just to see how well he handles it. I thought he looked fantastic at the World Cup. I thought he looked really good, better than I thought. Well, if you go by how they had their power plays ahead of the opener, they had Zaitsev running the second unit, which had Nealander and Matthews on it, and Marner was on the quote-unquote first unit with Bozak, with Van Riemsdyk. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else was on it. Gardner, and I think Kadri. Kadri was on the first one. What was interesting to me about that, and this is total side tangent I just want to get your opinion on, Morgan Riley on neither power play. And obviously we saw last year they used him a ton. Uh, he led the team in ice time, playing against top lines, killing penalties. Do you like this concept of not having him potentially on a power play? Because the inference we got from Mike Babcock last year was they didn't want to throw too much on his shoulders. After Connor Carrick, he would be the youngest player on their defense. Do you kind of like him in the role that they have him in uh, seemingly again where he'll go up against top lines, kill penalties, and, and maybe not be on the power play? I don't know. I think he, I think Morgan should be on the power play unit. I think he should probably be on the first power play unit. I mean, his strength is – I think it made sense last year because they wanted him to learn the defensive side of the game. They wanted him to learn Babcock's system. They wanted him to play against top lines. They wanted him to start to kill penalties on the top penalty-killing unit. It was interesting, I thought, with the Young Guns team at the World Cup, he was on the top penalty kill unit, and he looked pretty good. They wanted him to learn all of that, and they wanted him to play their, the most minutes on the team. And I think part of the way they accomplished that was by taking him off the power play as much. 
the other thing too is that they had to sign him to that contract, so they didn't want him to like foreseeably if he was playing a very offense first role last year, he could have put up like. 45 50 points and then that contract becomes much harder to sign what they did is they put him in a much more defensive role um he had hunwick as his partner i mean he had a really tough last year last year he was he was buried to a to some extent this year i don't i don't see the reasoning behind not putting him on the power play i mean i think it i think he's so effective there then how can you not use him there well and if i recall i think north america used him on their power play as well um, anyway, that was a side thing I just wanted to ask you because I thought it was curious and I think it's going to be something to monitor the whole year. And to your point, uh, I wrote a story on him, I think a week ago, he was like, I think he was tied for 12th among all defensemen and even strength points last year. So you're right. Like if he gets power play time and suddenly add, I don't know, eight to 10 points, suddenly the contract might look a little different than it was. I think that the young player question is fascinating because you think it would be Matthews, and I think it probably will be Matthews. And if we're going by, like, Jack Eichel kind of standards, I think Eichel had 50-some-odd points, 56 points last year, so maybe he's in that ballpark. I think Neilander is really interesting. And typical William Neilander, I was talking to him the other day, he said he wants to be the best on the team among rookies. And I think, obviously, he has that potential. Like, he's so skilled. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the relationship with Mike Babcock evolves over this year and the coming years because we saw last year that there were points where I think Babcock got frustrated with he floats a little bit you know he's not always going he's not Pavel Datsuk I I think that will be interesting to watch in the coming years not only with with Neilander but with Matthews but with Marner you know how he kind of molds some of those young guys Matthews won't be a problem I mean like he's not gonna be he'll do whatever they want I mean he's He's going to be your hockey robot. Like, like I remember when I really dug into who Matthews was and talked to all of his coaches and whatever. The more and more I learned about him, the more I was like, "Wow, this is exactly who Mike Babcock wants." Is is what Austin Matthews is. But you're right, totally right about Nylander. Like, I think when we talk about who's the best rookie going to be, who's the best fit going to be, how do you measure that? Is that just like how many points they have? Like, I think if we want to do it as like kind of talk about it as an all-around good player, I think Matthews is a no-brainer decision because defensively, I think it's going to be, for sure it's going to be hard for Nylander because it was last year. And in the Marlies playoff run, he certainly had some lapses defensively. I know he there's lots of talk that he had a serious illness that he was playing through too. So, And Marner, I mean, Babcock said he his two-way game is better than he thought it was. It's still There's still some work to be done there. So that's why I think Matthews will, will be ahead of the game because I think he is going to be a very good two-way player earlier than those other two guys. Well, let me ask you this. I was writing a preview story for the Leafs, and I was one of the things I included that I was thinking about is, you know, Kadri led them with 45 points last year. I think they could have, like, five guys who could eclipse that, five, six guys who could eclipse that. If you were going to guess who would lead them in scoring at the end of the season, is it Matthews or is it somebody else like if I'm putting a bet if I'm going to bet you I think I might pick Van Riemsdyk he's going to play with Bozak and Marner at least to start he's going to get a ton of power play time he's coming off a year where we saw him play better than I think we had previously he was not getting hemmed in he was being used differently who would be your pick I was going to say Van Riemsdyk just because of power play opportunity, because he's playing with good players. Like, I, I, there could be an argument for Kadri, except he's playing with Komarov and Mahalik, and it's, it's going to be hard for him to generate points at even strength. And 
that's another one where I kind of question the wisdom of doing that because I think you're limiting what Kadri can give you, but maybe that just gives them the balance that is what Babcock's looking for there. Well, but let's look at it. What are your options? So if you're going to use, let's say you don't use Kadri against other top lines, who are you using? Bozak? I guess that's your argument. You use Bozak against other top lines. You put Bozak with, I don't know, Komarov. And like, you have to use, how are you using him differently? No, no, no. Like, I'm okay with using Kadri against top lines. I'm just not okay with giving him really weak offensive players that he's playing with. Like, I just think that Kadri can drive offense and play against other teams' top lines. It's not like he only can do one thing. And it's it, this happens all the time. Like, it seems like, like this is kind of what happened to Grabowski under Carlisle. It's like Grabowski was a really good a two-way player, but they figured out that he was good defensively and they just buried him like crazy and they didn't give him good line mates. And it was, it was a mess. But so who do you play him with? So you, like you said, you like the idea of putting Marner with Van Riemsdyk, I think is what you were saying. Right. Nylander with Matthews, I think makes a lot of sense. I don't, like who else is there? Like they just don't have, I don't know who that other guy is. And, and obviously, you know, I think Soshnikov maybe is that guy eventually, but I don't know how super skilled he is. So who is that guy that you would put him with? So I guess what they're going to do is they're just going to bury Kadri and say, like, generate whatever offense you can with Mahalik and Komarov. We'll see. We'll see if you can do anything. I mean, maybe Kadri can generate some on his own. Uh, take on the, the tough assignments and play them to the draw. And then Matthews and Nylander on their line are going to beat up on third lines and fourth lines like the way Kadri did when he first came into the league. And, and Bozak and Van Riemsdyk are going to play against other teams' second lines and try and beat up those. So... That looks like that's what they're going to try and do, and I think that that sort of kind of fits with what Babcock's done in the past. But I just feel like Kadri has a lot more to give offensively than he showed last year, and he's not going to be able to do it with the guys he's playing with. Well, and what's interesting about his year last year is how unlucky he was. So he led the team; he had a bunch of even strength points. I think his power play points actually went down quite a bit. I think he had like maybe ten after having eighteen or something the year before. Uh, but if you know he's a little bit more lucky this year in terms of shooting percentage, I think his on ice shooting percentage was pretty bad too. So if that all reverts back, maybe he can give you, I don't know, fifty, fifty-five points even with not great line mates. And and I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to monitor. Let's move on to the goaltending. Uh, I think you mentioned it earlier that the contract that they gave Frederick Anderson was curious because. It wasn't necessary, and we saw the same thing You know, when they traded for Jonathan Bernier. It wasn't this long a deal. It wasn't this pricey a deal. Why do you think they're, so, they're such believers in Frederick Anderson as a not just a number one goalie, but they're betting on him becoming a bargain and becoming a really good number one goalie? I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I mean, his numbers are pretty good. Like his his career average is a nine eighteen save percentage. He's only played one hundred and twenty five games in the NHL, so he hasn't really proved to me. He hasn't really proved much of anything. I think they like that he's a really big guy. He's an unflappable guy. He he fits the mold of what teams are looking for in, in terms of his size. His playing style is very good. People talk about how he's a very composed goalie. He doesn't get moving around all over the place. I don't think he's he's going to be kind of unflappable and that I don't think that playing for the Leafs is going to get to him and whatever. But I just, I don't know. You know, I've been uh, been working on a piece on, on Jonas Enroth and he's obviously going to be the backup and he's the, the smallest goalie in the NHL this year. And 
I just think that someone like Enroth, you're not betting. It's the same kind of idea. You're not betting hardly anything on him, and I think he can be a, give you a nine thirteen, nine fourteen save percentage. And I just wonder if the extra term and the extra dollars are worth it. If Anderson's only going to be a tiny bit better than that guy. Well, and I think it gets to the conversation that you and I have had a lot about goalies and contracts for goalies. And it's interesting that this front office was one that signed a goalie long term because I don't know. We think of them as kind of being more forward thinking, and I don't know. Maybe I'm not correct but it seems to go against that wisdom to sign goalies to long-term deals like just based on how much their performance fluctuates so let's try sorry let's try to to put ourselves in their shoes as far as signing him to this long-term deal you're betting basically that he becomes a really good goalie you're paying him five mil a year which ends up being a bargain i guess like is it as simple as that that they're just expecting him to you know, kind of evolve into that guy that they think they need. Uh, we know Lou Lamorello, you know, and goalies. We know that history. Do you think that's just their thinking? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the Leafs being a progressive organization and thinking like an analytics team, they've got a lot of different voices there with a lot of different ideas. So I think that there's some guys in the front office, including Mike Babcock, you know, like Mike Babcock and Lou Lamorello might have a different idea about how much you pay a goalie and how much you invest in them and how proven they need to be before you pay them and those things. Then, then Kyle Dubas or, you know, some of the guys in the analytics, he probably have a different idea of, of the direction they wanted to go with the goaltending. So I'm sure that was a conversation. It looks to me like Lou Lamorello won out in that I think they just thought they needed to have a guy that they were putting their faith in. And this was the guy that they decided to go with. And I don't think it's the worst bet in the world. I just, I just don't know what Anderson's going to be. And maybe they found some sort of maybe, – maybe they, they do know. Maybe they've scouted him better or they, they truly believe that he's going to be something great. I mean, if, if Anderson turns out to be a, a 918 save percentage goalie, which is his career average right now, and you're only paying him $5 million, I mean, he's only going to be the 17th or the 18th highest paid goalie in the league. That's totally fine. I mean, if, like, if you're guaranteed that he can play – 50 to 60 games a year and give you that then that's worth that amount of money and that amount of term but I just don't know how you know that given he's only I think he's only played one year where he's basically been a number one goalie so well I think his career high is 50 some odd games two years ago and he had a 914 save percentage which is pretty close to the league average but the one thing that I think you have to remember is he was playing for one of the best teams in the NHL one of the best puck possession teams in the NHL and obviously when you have the puck more you're spending more time in the offensive zone we saw with Jonathan Bernier and obviously the big difference with him is he's a smaller goalie but we saw you know he came from one of the best defensive teams in the league to one of the worst defensive teams in the league and suddenly he was facing a whole lot more shots and he didn't look as good and and I'm not sure how much you place on Bernier and how much you place on the quality of the team but I think this year is going to be really interesting because they're not going to be exceptional exceptional. I don't know why I can't say that word. But they're not going to be a great team. They're going to be like a bottom-of-the-rung team for the most part, a young team that's going to make its mistakes. I'm really curious. I think he is the biggest question mark on the team of the season. Can he be that guy that they think he can? Because if he's not, like if he has a bad year, suddenly that deal is going to look really questionable, you know? I think it's already questionable just because of that uncertainty, but I don't know. Like, like this was this was the ultimate year where there's no pressure on them to do a move like this. This was the year when they could just, like, I thought they I thought they could just bring in some young guys. Like, I would have brought in like Calvin Pickard from, I think he was he's with one of Colorado's young goalies, or like, 
like with the expansion draft coming, there's going to be all kinds of goalies shaking loose because teams can only protect one guy. So this was the ultimate year. Like you should, they should have just brought in Enroth and a young goalie that they could they could unearth from somewhere and just see what they've got. Because, but it's it's a different mentality. I mean, I think it's I think part of it is that Babcock saying I need a goalie. I can't have another Bernier meltdown ruining the development of these kids and. I'm sure that that's what Mike Babcock said. We gotta get a goalie. You can't just give me like some untested goalies, and then that sewers our whole year. But from my perspective, why not? I mean, this is the year to sewer in service of finding that goalie down the road. Well, obviously, we don't know what the negotiations were, but you could have just made the trade and not signed for five years. Like you could have just made the trade itself is fine. Maybe you sign him for a year or two. I don't know. See what he is, and then go from there. It was curious, and uh, I think that's the way we'll label it, just a curious move and one that's going to, you know, they're going to have to prove is worthwhile. So we'll see. Uh, is there anything else you want to get to? I guess we'll, we'll try to make this a little bit more regular, right? Okay. Anything else you want to say? Well, hopefully the audio on this sounds okay. We're sitting at the practice rink in the hallway, so there's been some carts and some hockey players and stuff walking past us. But if it sounds good, then, yeah, we can do this after practice a lot more frequently. So... All right, two weeks from now, we will uh, we'll try to get back at it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.